Welcome to Well That Was Weird, the podcast, Serial Saturday edition, where each week we discuss a different killer and give our opinions of their heinous crimes. My name is Isaiah. And I'm Chance. And um, this week we have uh, Robert Berdella, um, also known as uh, the Kansas City Butcher and the Collector. <laughs> the Collector. I wonder if they named that movie after him. Uh, no, the Collector was actually a movie before he was around but that's where he is said to have gotten his inspiration from wait are you talking about the new movie no they the old movie that he got his inspiration from is a 1965 film oh called the collector and basically it in the movie a guy stuck stalks a young art student before abducting and holding her captive in the basement of his farmhouse huh Okay, I I didn't know about that. I was thinking of the new one, uh, yeah, because there's like that new about to be a trilogy, but the first two are out with the crazy guy that like sets traps in people's houses and stuff. Yeah, uh, no, um, I I don't know, but yeah, this guy was uh, Robert Berdella was actually inspired by huh. by that. Well, um, uh, Robert Berdella, uh, I wasn't familiar with him before today. Uh, nope. And if you aren't, uh, he is most famous for uh, kidnapping, raping, torturing, and murdering at least six men between 84 and 87 in Kansas City, Missouri, after having forced his victims to endure periods of up to six weeks of captivity. Yeah, in his uh, basement. He had <laughs> a, a bed that he would... Um, he would tie them to with piano wire in his basement. And according to him, he described his murders as, quote, some of my darkest fantasies becoming my reality. Uh, he did plead guilty and was sentenced to a life imprisonment without possibility of parole. Um, mm. But we'll we'll get into that a little bit more uh, over the, yeah, the next yeah. few minutes. Um, yeah, he was... Uh, We'll do some background on him. Um, no surprises here in his background. <laughs> Let me guess. Abusive parents or parent. Uh, uh, spot on. Yeah. You're exactly right. His mother was also, a gypsy and his father was an alcoholic. <laughs> uh, not necessarily. Um, it actually sounds pretty, I don't know what you'd call it, I guess. Um, uh pretty suburban american i guess okay um you know between his his parents um uh he was born uh in 1949 in cuyahoga falls ohio um he's the first of two sons born to robert Bradella senior and this is where i say it's kind of so it's very quintessential you know 19 late 1940s you know the boomer era yeah yeah um, his father was a die setter for the Ford Motor Company. Yeah, so he's probably making a good wage back then. Shout out to the Bronco. Yep. <laughs> the the does serial Ford, killer's does Ford vehicle even make choice. Bronco? I know in our last episode we went on like a twenty minute tirade about it, but I'm like, <laughs> <laughs> was it Chevy? Have we been wrong for the last hour and a half? That's <laughs> the Ford Bronco. Okay. Oh, um, so. And then, of course, uh, his wife, uh, Robert Berdella's mom, Mary, she she was able to stay at home because her husband was a die setter for the Ford Motor Company. He made good money. Um, 
his father was a Catholic of Italian descent <laughs> and, of course, raised his family in a deeply religious household. Yep. Um, family regularly attended mass, you know, pretty typical for Catholics, uh, with both sons having to regularly attend religious education courses as well. Ooh. Um, apparently, um, he was, he was actually really intelligent as with a lot of serial killers Yeah. for some reason. Um, but of course, as usual, uh, he was kind of a loner. He didn't really have friends, you know, like come come around the house to visit or to play with outside. So he pretty much stayed inside most of the time. Yeah. Uh, that was partly due to the fact that um, he was known for having a speech impediment. I don't know what kind of speech impediment because that info is kind of hard to find. Yeah. Um, but also he was severely nearsighted. Uh, and because of that, he had to wear like giant glasses because this was back before high index lenses existed. Yeah. He got those bulletproofs. Yeah, yeah, the big, <laughs> big, thick ones. Yeah, exactly. Um, and because of his speech impediment and his really thick glasses, he was he was bullied a lot. Um, you know, so there there's all of that, of course. Right. Um, and then also, um, and it sounds like maybe this kind of runs in his family. He was diagnosed with high blood pressure at a fairly early age as a kid. So yeah. he had to start taking medications. He just and the reason got why I say, slapped with a bad, <laughs> yeah, he the just, bad part of life very early on. He, he did not roll very successfully. On that. <laughs> yeah. He rolled um, low on those stat checks. Yeah, that's exactly what happened. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, I mean, according to this, he was largely unathletic, uh, but his younger brother, who was seven years younger than him, at an early age was already showing like greatness for various sports. Yeah. Um, and, and his dad, of course, being, you know, the, the boomer era dad that he was, uh, yeah, he's obsessed with the sports, right? Yeah. You know, so he, he had a boy he, who could play football and he, yeah, he was, you know, right there with him. He valued that physical education. So he, he viewed his, you know, older son's lack of interest in sports, as being a failure and would compare him unfavorably with his younger brother. Uh, You know, he would physically and emotionally abuse the children and then beat them with a leather strap apparently. So yeah, uh, pretty again, like we said, we see this often with a lot of serial killers. Their upbringing has a lot. I don't think it's, I don't think it's everything. I I think it's both because that's, that's always the argument with any, serial killer is it nature or nurture yeah were they born this way or were they raised to be this way and i think it's a little bit of both yeah i think maybe maybe they have some sort of genetic predetermination to have violent tendencies and then your parents fuck you up really bad and then make it worse make it worse or something along that's the thing you see a lot with a lot of people is that if you have a parent or both that have a you know, history of being violent, you most likely you're going to share in those same, you know, characteristics to what extent is your choice, I guess. But yeah. Um, and, and some people of course make, a you know, the determination early on that like, I'm not going to be like that. And they like seek help. And, but mm-hmm. a lot of these kids, unfortunately, like serial killers just act on these urges without 
thinking or talking to anyone or having the opportunity to, which leads to further issues. Yeah. Um, so he, you know, as, like we said earlier, he was pretty intelligent. He did well in school. Um, the teachers kind of had a hard time teaching him because he just, he was, he just didn't care. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Um, which I, I think is kind of common amongst. That's, that's a um, common thing among most children now. Yeah, they're among most children now, and and I I think I would argue, um, children at both ends of the spec spectrum are kind of that way. Yeah. Um, because I remember you know kind of feeling a bit of apathy towards school the older I got. Um, you know I'm not trying to, I'm not trying to you know brag or whatever, but you know I. I was tested at an early age for being like gifted and talented. And, mm-hmm. you know, I had a high enough, high enough IQ to get into those programs earlier than I should have been able to. Right. And so by any of those metrics, I was considered a gifted, you know, really intelligent student. And the further I got into school, because I wasn't challenged in any way academically, I got bored with it. Yeah, and that's that's what happens a lot of times is when you have a kid like that who needs the, you know, mental stimulation or the challenge, like you said, a lot of these schools aren't prepped for that. And they're just like, no. all right, well, you get the same shit as everybody else. And yep. then that kid gets bored and either puts their attention to something that they shouldn't or it just doesn't even, it kind of falls to the wayside. Exactly. And and I think I think that we probably see that a lot with some of these serial killers their attention gets focused on, like you said, things that they shouldn't work, shouldn't be focusing on. You know, their attention gets more focused on their abuse at home or whatever it may be. Yeah. It's Um, like, hey, you know, Tim, like, dude, he was doing AP classes like super early, but they didn't challenge him. So now he's doing heroin. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) He's making meth in a garage somewhere. And I I think that probably happens way too often. Um, Yeah. So, you know, because of that, uh, he he also, you know, didn't, like we said, he was kind of a loner. He didn't really do any, uh, you know, activities at school, wasn't a member of any clubs. He didn't really have any friends, kind of things like that. Yep. Um, by the time he kind of reached puberty, he kind of discovered uh, that that he was a homosexual. He, he was a gay man. Mm-hmm. Um, but... He didn't really become open about it for several years. Um, in and fact, he even tried to have a girlfriend in his teens. Yeah, that's understandable for that time period too. For that time period, absolutely. Because they're during those years. I mean, they're putting out this trash propaganda, being like, "Don't catch the gay," or yeah. you know, like, and people are openly in conversations being like, you know, talking shit about gay people, and it was. I mean, it, it wasn't uncommon. Like, I mean, unfortunately, it still happens now. But even back then, they were treated with like immense amounts of hate. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, you know, so he he wasn't very open about it because this would have been, you know, he's born in forty nine, and you know, let's say, let's say, you know, age sixteen, say, 
right? That would have been, uh, what, 1965? Mm -hmm. So right in the mid-60s, this is still even before the days of, this is still right before the days of, you know, the whole uh, Woodstock thing and the peace and love and all of that shit and free love. Um, So uh, by the time he kind of hit his mid-teens, he did actually begin to display a bit of self-confidence, which is kind of interesting. Um, But the only thing is that self-confidence would um, cause him to appear somewhat rude and condescending, particularly towards women. Yeah. Um, so he started to kind of learn about cooking and art, and he kind of started developing, you know, some showmanship with his cooking and art and things like that in his teenage years. Um, in fact, uh, whenever he uh, got out of high school, um, he actually wound up leaving, uh, you know, once he got out of high school, he decided to become a professor and enrolled in the Kansas City Art Institute. Huh. And, but he quickly decided on a change of careers and studied to be a chef. Um, we'll kind of get, we'll go a little further into that here in just a second. But I think a, a, a thing that I wanted to mention quickly, though, is in 1965, he would have been 16, just shy of his 17th birthday. Uh, on Christmas Day, uh, the Bradella family drove to Canton, Ohio to visit some relatives. And that evening, apparently Bradella's father had a heart attack at the age of 39. And um, two days later, uh, Bradella returned to Cuyahoga Falls by himself. And when he arrived home, his family told him that his father had died. Hmm. Um, he kind of sought uh, you know, comfort in his religion. Um, and he, he actually later went on to read pretty extensively about many different religions, but became pretty cynical on the whole idea. Right. But in 1965, this is where things kind of, uh, changed for him. He, he saw the film called the collector and read the book, uh, the collector. And of course, like we said earlier, the whole plot of the movie was about the guy who holds a woman captive in his windowless stone basement. Yeah. Um, so and he 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 says that this movie made a lasting impression on him. That was like his his big light bulb moment was that movie. So uh, pretty much, you know, right after shortly after the death of his father, his mother remarried, and you know, mind you, he's seventeen. He's got raging hormones and everything else, and so he kind of. Um, after his mother remarried, he kind of reimmersed himself in his solitary activities, painting, coin collecting, stamps, things like that. Um, so, yeah, I mean, he was kind of a fairly normal guy, I guess, I, I, I would say. Um, so he started collecting artifacts, though, one of the things, primitive art, photographs, and antiques. And that's what he would later use to open his own business. Uh, so he's it's kind of an interesting thing. Um, so you know, yeah, like I said, he he went to be the Kansas City Art Institute, um, but um, yeah, again, he was a really good student in college, uh, but he became very uh, vocally anti-authoritarian, as some people did in college <laughs> in the si- late sixties. Yeah, that's about right when it started. 
Yeah. Um, uh, but he, um, he started to kind of join a clique of students. He finally had some friends a little bit who supplied him with drugs, uh, which he then sold to other students at a profit. So <laughs> he became a, uh, a minor Learning drug dealer in college. Yeah. Hell yeah. Learning early. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, and, um, here's where it gets a little bit weird. Um, he began regularly abusing alcohol, uh, but he also engaged in acts of animal torture as most serial killers do. Um, on at least three occasions while a student at the Kansas City Art, Art Institute. And in two of those, he actually tortured a duck and a chicken in the presence of his peers. Yeah. And people watched him do it. <laughs> he was just like, hey, guys, if you want to see something cool? <laughs> They're like, no, no, don't like no, that. No, 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 no. Yeah. Um uh, 19, he was actually arrested for a, for trying to sell meth to an undercover police officer. <laughs> oh. Yeah. Oh, wow. Um, he was, apparently he was released after posting $3,000 bond, which was yeah. equivalent to $22,000 in today's years. Yeah. Uh, he, he did plead guilty to that offense and was handed a five-year suspended sentence. And a month after his arrest, Burdella... Two other students were arrested for possession of marijuana and LSD in Johnson County. Uh, at that time, Berdella could not post bond, so he spent five days in jail. And although the charges against him, uh, one of the other students would be dropped due to lack of evidence. Mm -hmm. And if you're, uh, just in case you're wondering, uh, the whole thing where he killed a duck, um, apparently he says he did it for the sake of art. He killed and cooked a duck. Jesus. In front of his, uh, in front of his uh, peers. And uh, the college administrators weren't very happy about that. They didn't remove him from the school, but they basically said, you need to go. So he voluntarily withdrew from the Kansas City Art Institute. Yeah. So. Um, at, at this point, though, this was 1969. Um, he, he had actually been openly gay. Um, so after he left college... He spent most of his free time with male prostitutes, drug addicts, petty criminals, and runaways. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Um, it, basically, yeah he he would um, he would uh, typically befriend these people and then try to help them with their drug addictions. Um, so he's trying to help, I guess. <laughs> um, and he even he even stated that he felt like a foster parent to a lot of these kids. Um, but, uh, by the 1980s, a lot of his older acquaintances had kind of cut off contact with him. And so he began increasingly to rely on these young prostitutes and drug addicts as a source of any sort of companionship and friendship. And, um, so, but it kept making him mad because he was trying to help them and they would resist basically. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, um, he, he kind of had, uh, with these people, he kind of had this, he would exert some sort of control over them, uh, loaning them money, letting them rent, live rent-free at his house for periods of time in exchange for whatever. Um, so, yeah, he, he, was, he was kind of a, he was an interesting guy, I guess. Um, 
he was actually even part of a neighborhood watch organization in the 1980s in the neighborhood that he lived in. Uh, the South Hyde Park Crime Prevention and Neighborhood Association. He was active in, in this association until the mid-80s when he relinquished his position uh, and he would even represent his neighborhood at fundraising fundraising events for a local public television station. Hmm. Uh, so it's it's kind of interesting there. Um, so things kind of take a pretty dark turn in 1984. <laughs> what happens in 84? <laughs> yeah. Um, 1984 july 1984 that's that's when he's believed to his kill to have killed his first victims uh he apparently uh, one of his friends was a prostitute named jerry howell he apparently drugged one of them and started keeping him in his basement started <laughs> yeah yeah um so jerry howell uh they they were friends they'd known each other for a while um, and he, he said that he was going to, um, uh, he, he abducted on the premise of driving his friend to attend a dancing contest. Um, and according to Bradella himself, um, he gave his friend alcohol, Valium and asapromazine, asapromazine. I don't know exactly what that is. Uh, it is a derivative antipsychotic drug. Yeah. Um, Mainly it's basically it's, used as a sedative. Yeah, it's supposed to be used on animals. <laughs> yeah. Um, so he drugged him uh, in the car and at his house until he was unconscious. And then he injected him with a heavy tranquilizer before tying his friend to his bed. And he was apparently um, restrained to Berdella's bed for about 28 hours. Gosh. Um, during this period of captivity, um, yeah, he, uh, he, he, went, he went nuts on him, basically. He repeatedly drugged him, tortured him, raped him, violated him with foreign objects, and would just kept ignoring uh, Jerry Howell's, you know, why are you doing this to me? Yeah. You know, let me go. Kept ignoring him. Um, Jerry Howell either asphyxiated on his own vomit or a combination of the gag and the medicines were too strong for him to be able to catch his breath. Jeez. So, uh, Berdella said that he tried briefly <laughs> um, <laughs> to perform CPR oh, after no, he died. Oh, no, he's dying. <laughs> yeah, he's He's like, oh no. Anyway, oh, shoot. Um, <laughs> uh, so, at, but basically, he tried for a minute and then drug the body to his basement. He then su suspended the body above a large cooking pot, made several incisions on uh, Howell's body in the inner elbows and jugular vein, and left it suspended in this position overnight to allow the blood to drain from the corpse. <laughs> These they ramp up so quickly, don't they? <laughs> Like I strangled him, then I lit him on fire. <laughs> what? I mean, all of these serial killers. I don't know if we're just missing some details whenever we're reading about them, but it seems like stuff just escalates real quick. It with definitely some of these people. does. 
Absolutely. Um, so the following day after that, he dismembered the body using a chainsaw and boning knives uh, before wrapping the sections in newspaper and trash bags, which were then placed in larger trash bags, which then he put outside for the garbage people to collect and take to a landfill. Um, he got he got away with it by when people started asking about you know uh, Jerry Hal's disappearance. He said that he drove drove him to the dance competition as promised as promised, and that he hadn't seen him since. But but this is kind of one of the things that got him later on is that Robert Brudella kept a detailed log in which he documented each act of sexual and physical torture inflicted upon his victim. Jesus. Uh yeah. Uh, so he kept he kept a, a, a journal of this stuff, like a diary basically, a murder diary, I suppose, or a torture diary. Yeah. Well, I mean he does he goes on to murder more, obviously. Yes. Uh and on April tenth, nineteen eighty five, a former lodger of Berdella's twenty three year old Robert Sheldon uh yeah. came over to Berdella's house asking if he could again stay there for a, you know a short period of time. Uh Berdella uh, according to Berdella, uh even though Sheldon was responsible in paying him rent, he considered him an inconvenience and although he wasn't physically attracted to Robert, um he chose to drug and hold him captive on the 12th of April 2 days later. Uh, when he returned home from work to find Sheldon intoxicated. Uh, Burdella was adamant that he held no firm malice towards Sheldon, but saw him as an individual upon whom he could, quote, express anger and frustration that I had toward other people on. Uh, Sheldon was drugged and with sedatives. He was held captive on the second floor bedroom for three days, enduring forms of torture, such as the swabbing of drain cleaner in his left eye. Yeah. The insertion of needles beneath his fingertips, the binding of his wrists with piano wire with the intention of permanently damaging the nerves, and filling his ears with caulking to reduce his hearing capacity. Yeah. Three days after this, Berdella had begun holding, after he had you know held him captive, on April 15th, yeah. a workman came to perform scheduled work on the roof leading Berdella to choose to fatally suffocate Sheldon by placing a sack over his head, which he tightened with a piece of rope. And he later dissected Sheldon's body in the third floor. There's a third floor. Jesus. In the third floor bathroom. Yeah. Uh, following this, following June, Berdella found Mark Wallace, whom he vaguely knew via Wallace, having previously helped him with like some yard work. Uh, hiding in his tool shed to seek shelter from a severe thunderstorm, uh, which, as had been the case with Robert Sheldon, Berdella invited him inside, noting Wallace's I... acute state of tenseness and depression, volunteered to inject him with, was it chlorpromazine? Chlorpra, oh, uh, okay. With the explanation that it would calm and relax him, Wallace willingly accepted the offer. Wait, like, oh, what? No. <laughs> And then, like, dude, it's just storming. Calm down. Uh, <laughs> he accepted the offer. 30 minutes later, Berdella decided to render him captive. Uh, Wallace was carried to the second floor bedroom where he endured almost a day of captivity and along with torture, including the application of alligator clips to his nipples to facilitate electrical shocks to the body 
at any point at which Wallace began regressing into a state of unconsciousness, according to Berdella, one hour after his, uh, quote, experimenting with hypodermic needles by inserting them into various muscles upon his victim's back, Wallace, Wallace died through a combination of the, quote, the drugs, the gag, and the lack of oxygen. He noted the victim's time of death as being 7 p.m. on June 23rd. Oh, I I do think it's interesting to mention you were talking about um, uh, Robert Sheldon, the second mm. victim. Yep. I do think it's kind of interesting to mention, though. Um, uh, he kept him for about, what was it, like a couple days? But at first, Burdella actually changed his mind about keeping him and took him to a doctor to have his injuries treated. Wow. And then he changed his mind and put Sheldon back in the basement. And then then the workman came over. <laughs> and then he put the bag over his head. Yeah. Um, He's like, no, I don't want to kill you. Yeah, I do. <laughs> yeah, it's... I mean, you know, like we said, uh, he, he went on... To have what? How many total victims? Seven, six, seven, six, six. Um, you know his his general mo. You know his victims were all uh, white men, age eighteen to twenty two, who were either prostitutes or acquaintances of his. You know, after getting him to his house, um, he would basically uh get them drunk or drug them with sedatives or animal tranquilizers and then keep them gagged and restrained to a bed in the basement with piano wire. And that's where he would engage in all those different tortures, electric shock, beating them, you know, whatever it may be. Like you said, the window cock, bleach, drain cleaner, (laughs) eye gouging. Yeah. And he would document the whole process with a camera and keeps keeping a detailed log before eventually killing them. Of course, like what we said now, the last one, though, the one that got him caught, <laughs> um, he abducted his last victim, uh, Christopher Bryson, 1988. He, again, you know, he, he lured him to his house upon, upon the promise of payment for sex. Uh, of course, he was knocked unconscious with an iron bar, then bound to the bed like typical, you know, pretty typical at this point, um, where, uh, you know, he... He subjected him to similar methods of abuse and torture, um, swabbing his eyes with ammonia, um, and telling him uh, that the only things you need to think about are you, me, and this house. Jesus Christ. Yeah, terrible. Uh, Um, Yeah. But um, after several days, um, Berdella explained to Bryson that he had begun to trust his captive and that although he was willing to discuss aspects of the abuse and torture he was receiving, there would be no negotiations pertaining to the sexual abuse. <laughs> and um, he told him that I've gotten this far with other people before and they're dead now because of mistakes they made. But apparently um, by the third day of his capture, Bryson had earned sufficient trust from Bradella to persuade him to establish a daily regime of tying his hands in front of him after his sexual abuse rather than above his head and to the bed because uh, his excuse was that Bradella's doing so was restricting the circulation to his arms. And he also persuaded Bradella to leave a television on in the room with the remote control placed between his legs so that way whenever Bradella was out of the room, he could maybe use the, the TV, I guess. I Change the channel, I guess. 
Um, so I guess apparently while Berdella was out of the house, he actually managed um, to break free of his restraints by burning through them by using a book of matches that Berdella had left in the room on accident Shit. and within his reach. So he managed to escape from the house by jumping from a second floor window wearing nothing but a dog collar around his neck and breaking a bone in his foot in the process. He ran towards a meter reader walking across the other side of the street, shouting for this individual to call the police. Um, so they let him into the house that he'd been approaching, whereupon, you know, they called the police, and he basically told them that he was abducted by Berdella and who basically kidnapped him and tortured him for four days before jumping out the window and escaping. Um, so, yeah, later questioning, uh, basically led them to Berdella. I mean... Do... Uh, I know we we kind of hit it, but do we want to talk about some of his more graphic crime? <laughs> um... I'll let you guys look that up. Because <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if it, if you read... Did you read about Todd Stoops? Oh. How he died? <laughs> Um, I know we we basically kind of yes yeah, yeah we skipped him. we skimmed over that one um and we 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 skipped over a couple of them uh no I don't think we want to do it no no okay <laughs> so if you're listening to this look up uh Robert Berdella and then there's a section that you can find for Todd Stoops probably the most brutal killing I've ever heard of like people have been hacked to pieces on the show and then like put in stews. And we're like, oh, that's nuts. I don't think I would ever wish what he did to that guy on my worst enemy. Like that. No. That is horrific what he did to that dude. Yeah. Um, But anyway, uh, leading back uh, after that escape, uh, you know, he was questioned uh, by the police and, uh, you know, uh, Bryson let him know that he was, you know, held against his will, which of eventually led to them searching the property and taking Robert Perdella in for, for questioning. Mm-hmm. Um, it does go on to say that, you know, like there were 11 detectives, one sergeant to basically focus solely on Berdella's case. Yes. Uh, and they extens- extensively researched his history, the discovering that he was a well-known individual among male hustlers having, I mean, he earned reputations for preying on transient young men and it was known in the community in this gay community that Robert Berdella was somebody to watch out for. Um, and I mean, and when they, you know, searched the home, obviously they found signs of struggles. Uh, mm-hmm. I mean, they found pornographic images everywhere. Uh, it was just, you know, in, insane what they found, but uh, he did eventually face uh, life imprisonment without the possibility of parole yeah. And just like his father, uh, Robert Berdella succumbed to a heart attack while he was in prison. Yep. And At 43 years old. 43. Um, and it was also due to the peniten- Missouri State Penitentiary withholding his heart medication from him. From yeah. Because yeah. he, he claimed, like, I mean, he, he made a complaint, like, they're withholding my medication. I'm starting to feel sick. Like, I can already feel my chest hurting. And eventually they... Did uh, I mean they took him to the infirmary and they were like, "Yeah, get this man to a hospital." 
and he died mm-hmm. on the way there. So, yeah, yeah. Um, so if you want to learn some more and read some more about some of the more graphic details of Robert Bradella, mm-hmm. feel free to. Um, it's actually kind of rare that we refuse to go into this kind of stuff on the show. Yeah, it's just it's one of those things where it's we talk about graphic stuff, but that one kind of that one does it. Uh, it's pretty horrific. <laughs> yeah, yeah, so, it's pretty horrific. So, yeah. and it goes into much more detail. Um, but we we try to keep these episodes short and to the point. Um, so if you'd like to read those details, you can. Uh, but that about wraps up our telling of Robert Berdella. Yeah. Hope you enjoyed so, it. <laughs> yeah. Um, we'll see you guys uh, later on in the week for another regular episode. Apparently you guys really like these serial Saturdays, so we'll, uh, we'll keep them rolling. <laughs> yeah. So uh, we'll see you guys later on in the week. Um, uh, yeah. Uh, we'll be uh, posting some more good stuff on our social media stuff. Yeah, we've got uh, multiple posts on our Instagram throughout the week. We've still got shirts for sale, uh, so hit us up. Uh, We do everything through Venmo and PayPal currently. Uh, But if you want one, just send us a DM. We'll respond to you. I mean, tag us in a comment. Send us weird stuff that you find on the internet. We'll talk about it. Uh, But thanks for listening, and have a wonderful day. Bye. Bye.